at my company, we have our own framework. It's actually called the experimental framework. Hi, I'm your host, Magali Pellissier, and I'm a product manager. Welcome to Product Perspectives, the podcast for product people that gives a voice to their stakeholders. Each week, I show you the other side of the product. I interview the people who contribute to making products a success. They are engineers, writers, marketers, support analysts, UX designers, or even salespeople. Not only will I give them the credit they deserve, but will uncover what makes a good product and a good product manager from their perspective. Stakeholders management is a key skill for product managers. So just as you are obsessed with listening to your customers, let's hear from your stakeholders. My guest today is Pamela from Colombia. She's a product designer at a company called Torre, whose mission is to be the matching network for work, focusing on everything related to tech remote recruiting. She's been a product designer for over a year and has been a UX researcher for two years. She's a creative soul. She loves drawing, painting, singing, and she's passionate about people, understanding problems and entrepreneurship. Thank you very much for joining me today. I'm very happy to have you. You are the first person representing UX in this podcast. Awesome. You started as a UX researcher. How did you get into this? I actually used to work in marketing and operations at my family's company, and they were actually in the advertising industry. When I joined the company I'm currently at, I joined as a marketing intern and I was working between user growth projects and then customer success as well. And this role required a lot of analysis going from user interviews and also analyzing data. Being very interested in learning from people, their needs and like their behaviors and just getting to talk with them a lot. So my leader from that time saw that there was an opportunity for UX research at the time as an internal offer. And he suggested that I take it. So I decided to give it a try. And that's how I got into it. And what made you shift to UX design? I used to design small things for like advertising projects in my parents' company. And I was actually going to start a course in UX design when I got the offer to go and join the company that I'm currently at. And I chose the company and honestly, it's the best decision I ever made. Because once I got into UX research, I got closer to what being a designer was and I was working directly with one. So I started getting familiar with the design tools like Sketch, um, some others like Proto.io, which was like our prototyping tool, Trello and GitHub. And one day the head of product made an announcement for the product designers. And it took me a minute, but I immediately like wrote to her asking like, what do I have to do to get into this role? They were assigned to me a use case and a job to be done and I will have to work on a product in 24 hours. I didn't sleep much that day, but it was a fun trial. I did everything from understanding the problem, talking to some people, to designing a little bit of wireframing and getting into testing from that design. A couple of days after that, the CEO called me and he made me the offer and that was how I got that shift. But I was already in the product area, so that was like easy as well. So do you think it's easy for UX researchers to move into UX design or do you need any particular training where you're lucky? I think that if you have that inquisitiveness or that interest of 
of creating stuff and talking to people, but not only to understand them, but also to help them solve the problems, you can give it a try and you can become great at it. Mm -hmm. So talk me through what a design process looks like. What are you responsible for then in your job? I'm the company. We have our own framework. It was created by our CEO. It's for all the product development process. It's actually called the experimental framework. You can find it online. It's basically 18 steps to release product or functionality that will solve a specific problem or a job to be done. And just to briefly go through it, to quickly explain each step, it consists of observation, which means going and analyzing data from the current uh, behavior of users with the platform or with the functionalities, just seeing maybe any improvement that we want to do, maybe in engagement and retention. Then we do ideation, which is working like, like, like on what should we work on first, <laughs> defining uh, those problems maybe that we we, that we want to solve. And then we, we go to roadmap and prioritization, which basically means we prioritize those ideas of problems that we need to solve. And we add them to the roadmap with specific ETAs. The prioritization works with three, well, it depends, but the three main things that we focus on is impact, chances of success, and complexity. So it's impact times chances of success divided by complexity. And that gives us the number to define what to work on first. And then we understand the opportunity from that specific problem. So we go talk to users. We maybe go and analyze other platforms and other alternatives of what they're doing to solve that problem. We then hypothesize, which is basically us saying, by doing this thing, we're going to be able to solve this thing. And afterwards, we analyze other alternatives, solutions that already exist to the problem we're trying to solve, which is a little bit similar to the part of understanding the opportunity. But the, the part of understanding the opportunity is more focused on the on the user and like what the user is using and doing rather than maybe alternatives that they might not know of. And then we test the demand of that specific problem and solution. And then we design, which design includes everything from wireframing and just designing the UI and a lot of feedback meetings to check that we're going through the right path. And then we prototype but it's like a prototype that's good enough that the user can test some stuff and like the flows we want them to see. And then we test the usability, which is just checking that what we designed is people can move through it without getting stuck. And then we test value, which basically is testing that the solution that we designed is something that they actually would use and something that would actually like fit in their, in their job to be done and then their main flow of what they're currently doing. After we do that, we spec, which is just communicating everything in documentation of the Figma files or the Notion cards. And then it goes to development. And then we validate the usability of it again, just to make sure that everything's working as the same or better in production. Then we evangelize to make sure that it, the, our user base is aware of the new product. Then we analyze it to make sure that it actually came with the results we were expecting. It actually impacted the metrics that we defined at the beginning in observation. If it didn't, we might decide to unship it or not. We might share it and just keep it on check and repeat the whole flow. Now, this flow doesn't mean that we have to follow like step-by-step step mandatorily. It's like a guide. It's very flexible, so you can use it however you want. So let's say that you were validating the value, but you didn't validate it. So you take the project back to understanding the problem because maybe you needed to 
could check again what the actual problem of the user is and you. The process includes a project manager, a designer, and a group of engineers. I do well, most of these things along with the project manager. It's a lot of back and forth until you can like actually get a, a good, valuable product for users. We usually try to work on sprints, um, but most times it extends because of delays with design or delays with talking to users. Maybe we need to talk to more users. And yeah, that's like pretty much what I do. We focus on user growth, whatever we can do to allow users to bring more users to the platform and engage them. Uh, so there's a lot in there. So I'll start from the end. You say there may be delays because you need time to find users. So how do you source the users that are going to test your prototypes? We have something called an outreach plan. Basically, is defining which segments or which use cases we're going to be testing with. So let's say that we want to test a tool that's going to help people schedule interviews, let's say. So our main target would be people looking to hire. And then we would be more specific. For example, people trying to recruit remote talent let's say we want to test with our own users maybe we want to understand their problems of our current users or maybe we want to test with external people so we go and find people in slack groups and facebook groups in this case would be talent seekers or like uh, recruiters so recruiter groups through linkedin i've created an account today i volunteer for being a tester cool. <laughs> i was very interested in the concept and maybe you can talk a bit about what your company is doing so that we've got a bit of context the fact that you're creating a new professional network and i've left linkedin because i didn't like some of the things around the social media aspects so yeah. tell me more about how you're professional network is different so we do not want to be a social network <laughs> i mean in terms of like social media but we are trying to change the way people find jobs and how people hire talent like the core of our product is how can we help people find talent the easiest way possible so that would mean getting less let's say job alerts that can help them find the right fit job without them having to go through endlessly uh, like scrolling through jobs so we focus on asking users for their preferences and then finding them jobs throughout algorithms that help them be more specific and more more of a fit for them and then for talent seekers we also want to change the way people are hiring talent so not focus it so much on having degrees we don't really like cvs and so as we created the genome the genome is like the professional profile where you can add all of your experiences but additional to that you also have a way to know not only your technical skills but also your soft skills so you can take tests for personality for culture and then companies there's a new thing that actually just came out that is a tool where you can compare yourself professionally uh, in personality and in culture with a company or with another person so let's say a recruiter wants to compare with a new candidate and they can see how much of a fit they are and it reduces a lot of time for them in their recruiting processes because we also have an ats integrated where the recruiters can manage their candidate pipelines the product has a lot of things and it's been a lot of iterating on talking to user testing Okay, so you say that the product has a lot of functionalities and you've also mentioned that there are different squads. So are you responsible in particular for one part of a product? How is the UX and product function organized? There are squads for each job to be done. So there's one squad for candidates, there's one squad for talent seekers. And then uh, we have another squad for the people doing the genomes. And then my squad, we focus on user growth, whatever we can do to impact any of the jobs to be done and that can grow the user. 
users to allow users to bring more users to the platform and engage them. So what's the latest feature you worked on then or problem you've worked on? The most recent one was a referrals system, but we're working on a new functionality to allow users to invite other users. So whenever a user finds a job, they can now refer another candidate to the job and they will be able to see the progress of that candidate. A referral system is a huge thing because you can monetize it, you can use it to engage users in the platforms. And we analyze a lot of places that already do referrals and you can actually find a lot of platforms out there that are like literally that's the product a referral program so the referral system is a product on its own so a lot of what you do is about finding the right users and then putting prototypes in front of users which is a lot of the work that ux researchers would do so are there ux researchers in your company no <laughs> So there were two UX researchers, uh, but not anymore. And it was just because there was a huge organizational structure change recently. I do both roles. I do UX research and I do product design at the moment. Do you think it's a good position to be in? Having a UX researcher definitely reduces the workload a lot. <laughs> because while you do something, the UX researcher is doing something else. So it's like a parallel work that saves you a lot of time. But at the same time, I think it's very good that I get to do my own UX research because it gives me a lot of insight into what the user needs and like the user problem that we're trying to solve. I'm getting a fresh insights directly without having an intermediary telling me what happened. So I think it's a very good thing because of that. So who is acting as the product manager? You've said that your CEO wrote this experimental framework and then each squad has a project manager. And when you described your approach, you talked about creating the roadmap so it mm -hmm. seems that you're doing a lot of product management role. How does that work? I'm working with a project manager directly. We do it together. We actually take into account a lot of my opinions on what we should be working on first. And it's like a collaborative work uh, to define the priorities. And how do you align with the other designers? Because you're working on your part. Every designer is working on their squad. Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that what you're doing is consistent to provide a, a consistent experience for all the users? Honestly, it's been a learning experience. <laughs> We've made a lot of mistakes in the way as we grow, because we've been growing so fast, we have to iterate a lot on learning how to keep communication clear when there's more people. We all have the same functional manager, which is the head of product design. And we follow some guidelines that she has created that has helped us a lot in communicating with when there are any design changes that affect the other designs. Of course, also when we need opinions from the other squads, we also communicate it to them like, hey, I'm going to be adding this. What do you think? Do you think there's going to be any impact in this other design that you already have? that I might not be considering. Your company is growing a lot and you had to restructure. Mm -hmm. Have you arrived at a stage where you need a design system to bring that consistency? Are you working on that? Yeah, definitely. We actually already have one. We started off basing off material design by Google and we have iterated on it. So we have our, our main focus of the design system is from that one, but we also expanded two years ago to neomorphism, which is also like another design style more than a system, but we mixed it a little bit with the material design. And then we've also created our own switches to it, but we used to not have that. <laughs> it was horrible because we didn't have any components, which are key for designing. And 
just having that design system, which was created by the head of product and another senior designer, it just helped a lot in designing new things because we had to create it from zero every time. So having a design system does save a lot of time and we did need it. It did take a lot of time. A design system on its own is its own plan. It's, it's like a project on its own. The earlier you can have a design system, the better. Cause... Okay, so in addition to doing the research, the design, also thinking about priorities and road mapping, you're also taking care of the design system. Yes, all designers actively take care of the design system. We focus on user growth, whatever we can do to allow users to bring more users to the platform and engage them. So now, talk me through your relationship with that project manager. What do you think works well? How do you complement each other? What kind of skills does that person have? My project manager is very strategic. He actually is the one that decides more of like the path of where we're going to be headed. So what I really like from him is that he's very supportive and he's always very willing to help. He's like, I trust you and you can be flexible as you want with the process. So if you want to add something, to remove something, to change something you can do it just let me know and I will help you out and I like that he also considers my opinion a lot when taking strategic decisions and he is actually very proactive in sharing his knowledge to the team he considers both parts how we can improve the experience for the user but also how we can improve the metrics that we're trying to increase or decrease in the company so he has like those two perspectives and he brings them together and gives them to us way easier just for us to make more informed decisions on where we want to head the difference also is that he reports directly to the product manager and I don't I report to him he's like the intermediary there okay so help me understand as a designer you report to the head of design and all the designers do but then this project manager reports to a product manager who reports to, to the CEO, CEO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I report to the project manager as well. So I have like two managers. Oh, okay. In smaller companies, we tend to see the CEO being quite involved in the product. Do you get a lot of like strategic decisions made by the CEO? And does the CEO have any input on the design as well? Maybe. Oh, definitely. Our CEO is very design-oriented, so he really likes to be involved in all designs. He's actually the product manager at the moment. Any design that's going to be impacting something uh, has to go through him. So in this podcast, we also have somebody you know asking you a question. So this question is from Ronfer Dominguez, who is your project leader at Tore. Mm-hmm. And let's listen to this question. Hey, Pame. Just wondering, our engineers are not engaged enough with our design processes and, and the product. How do you think we can improve that? How can we manage to get them more engaged? Yeah, so actually that's a challenge that we currently have, which is that engineers are not that engaged with the design part of the product development cycle. And I've actually talked this a lot with my functional leader, which is the head of product. Some of the things that you can do are like, for example, one, making a safe space for the engineer to talk with you, get to them as if they're like friends. <laughs> so try to involve them more and ask them more about what they know best, anything that maybe that's technical that can help in the design front. You can proactively ask them to help you find alternatives to make things easier for the user and also for them. 
when we do handoff meetings or when we do QAs or when we do specs, ask them what they understood and then ask them how you could have communicated something better. Maybe you can communicate something, but the most important is that they understand it. For some people, maybe being more visual might be helpful. For others, they might be more text oriented, but just listening to their feedback is super key, like building those communication tools that they're going to be using in the end for coding or for like developing the features. The other thing I thought of is like being an owner, like when the design goes over to engineering, I can still be involved as a designer, asking them how they're doing, like if they need help with clarifying something, showing interest, like maybe in the code, who knows, maybe you might even acquire some technical knowledge that can be helpful later on. So just like the key is creating like an atmosphere of like, like acceptance for design and engineering and like get everyone like at the same table and just like feel like we're all at the same level. How do you manage this kind of situation where you came up with a great design and they tell you it's going to take me months to develop? They bring the problem, they bring their proposal, and we agree on the easiest solution to figure it out. Yeah, usually it takes iteration and a little bit of negotiation, negotiation, but at the end, you can figure out a solution that works best for both parties. And in previous episodes of this podcast, we had people from product marketing telling me that they worked with product manager, but also with UX design on the positioning of a product and also the marketing, creating designs and creating flows for the website. Are you involved in this as well? Yes. Um, my project manager is actually growth oriented. So his role and his responsibilities a lot on that user growth and that like kind of marketing-ish part of the, of the company. So we do strategize a lot on growth. So we do consider it for all the product part. The final bit of this podcast is I propose you several options and you pick one of them. Okay. So you've worked both in UX research and design. Which one do you prefer? This is like a tough one, but I can't really choose. Like I love talking to users and learning from them. And I love the creative process and like the creative spaces for design. But for the sake of choosing, I would say research because I'm, I feel very fulfilled with insights and data and I feel very encouraged and in control of what to do next. Wireframes or high fidelity prototypes? I feel like I honestly haven't got the chance to love high fidelity prototypes. I've always done like quick prototypes to like, you know, they're useful, that's it, but they're not the perfect high fidelity prototype. So I really love wireframing because honestly, it's like the rawest moment in the product where you can be more flexible, make changes, and it's a very cool iteration part of it. So are your engineers happy with that level of detail or do they come back to saying they want a bit higher fidelity? At the moment, they don't use the prototypes to guide the development. They just use the specs and the Figma file. So it hasn't really been a problem. Sometimes indeed for behaviors, they do love the prototypes. So I might have to get into that a little bit more. And you use Figma, have you used Sketch? And if so, which one do you prefer? I have used both. When I joined, we first used Sketch. I loved it until I met Figma because <laughs> it reduces a lot of friction between multiple stakeholders, saves a ton of time, and is like the the best tool I know for collaboration and design. So Figma, 100%. What is your final piece of advice for product people who want to work with people like you in design? Having that freedom and that flexibility and that support gives me, as a designer, a lot of ownership and a lot of motivation to go and do better processes, do better designs. If people who listen to this podcast episode want to contact you, what should they do? They can go to my Torregino and uh, there you'll find all my other social medias. Good uh, selling pitch for <laughs> <laughs> Actually, about that name, 
Where did the name come from, Genome? The word resume brings a lot of a feeling of your technical knowledge and what degrees do you have. So the genome feels more like of what the person is as a human and like as, a, as their personality, as a culture, as what they do and what they've done and what they want to accomplish as well. So it's more deep. And who came up with that name? Another designer. We could have some involvement in the naming. The only thing we do is like having code names for the experiments, but they're internal. So. Cool. What are those code names? Any fancy names? I, I actually like to name my experiments with things that are similar to the problem with Transult. I guide myself and use uh, Disney names. <laughs> my team, which is mainly uh, male, don't like that because they don't <laughs> they don't watch Disney stuff, so <laughs> they don't get it. But I explain it to them. They're like, okay, I like it. <laughs> Okay, great. Thank you so much for the interview. I had a great time. Thank you, Magali. Me too. Cool. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it has enabled you to understand your stakeholder and inspired you to better work with them to make successful products. If so, please share the link with your friends and colleagues. And if you want to suggest some topics, some guests, if you have questions you'd like me to ask during the interviews, or if you have any feedback, you can write to me at magalipelissier at hotmail.fr.